Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, we continue, of course, our study of the gospel of Matthew. We're seeing through the eyes of Matthew, Jesus Christ. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. He is the one to fulfill the promise to King David. He would be the Messiah who would rule, who'd sit on the throne of the nation of Israel forever to rule the world as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This morning, I think it's probably one of the most famous events in the life of Christ, and, and that helps us as we think through the, the, in this fallen world that we live. We're going to see the temptation of Christ, and the, the Son of God is in the wilderness, and a fallen angel, let me put it this way, the evil, wicked, most evil of all angels, Satan, the adversary, the evil one, the roaring lion who seeks a who may destroy and devour, he comes to tempt Jesus. As we look at this this morning, I want to raise some questions. How does Jesus Christ deal with temptation? In what ways is he tempted? How does this relate to our temptation? Why was Jesus tempted? And how can we deal with temptation? There's so much, and as we look at this passage, I think there's great truths and principles we can look at and apply. Of course, we're talking a little bit different here. This is the Son of God being tempted by the devil, but in our lives there are temptations, there are things that come in every day, all the time. So we'll look at it this morning and see how it fits. Now, I'm, I'm sure almost all of us in this room have been on a diet, and diets are, they're hard. Sometimes we, we have holidays, and we eat, and then we say, okay, I'm getting on a diet, and, and then we say, okay, I'm going to only eat so much, I'm going to work out, I'm going to do this, and we're okay, and then we're tempted, like it's 8 o'clock, and we've already eaten, but we're still hungry, and we say, well, I could just go in there and get some chips, maybe some Fritos, something like that. They've just, just a little bite, I'll be okay. Life is full of temptations. We're tempted to drive faster than the speed limit when we're in a hurry. We're tempted to cheat, sometimes on a test, sometimes something's, you know, we just, just get me started. If I could just get the first sentence, if I could just do that. We're tempted not to put everything down on the income tax the way it should be. We're tempted to exaggerate the truth, to impress others. I always say that the longer I live, the better coach I was, right? I mean, think about it. How, have you been tempted not to work as hard when the boss is out, when he leaves the office or she leaves the office? Are you tempted to copy somebody else's work, get somebody else's research? Are you tempted to say, I returned the call when you didn't return the call? There are temptations in our lives all the time. How do we deal with these things? This morning, the temptation of Jesus Christ. It is a powerful passage because there's so much in there. And most of us, we've all read it many times. We thought oh, Jesus was tempted three different times and the devil wanted him to do this and Jesus used the Bible every time. And sometimes people don't know where he went. He went to Deuteronomy. I mean, how many of us are going to use Deuteronomy when you, you, you know, something comes up in your life? You go, oh, well, Deuteronomy says. Most people don't even know where Deuteronomy is, you know, more or less what it says. We see Jesus just before he begins his ministry. What can we learn? Well, let's be reminded of where we are. In chapters 1 and 2, basically, we saw the protection. Jesus is born and protected, and uh, the wise men come later, and that Jesus is taken off to Egypt, then he comes back, and then he goes back to the northern part. And then all of a sudden, the ministry sort of starts with John the Baptist, who's the forerunner. He's the voice of crying in the wilderness. People come out there, and they say, who are you? He says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm telling everybody to get ready. The Messiah is here. The King is here. 
And as we think about Jesus' ministry and life, we saw that there are two things to be done before he begins his ministry. One is the baptism. We saw that last time where he identified with mankind. He identified with our sin. He, had, he came to be the sacrifice, the one to take our sin upon himself. So we saw that last week. But we also are going to see that which has to be done before he begins his ministry, the temptation. And that's victory over the enemy. And what he shows here is that he is able to be our Savior, that he does not sin, that he is the perfect Son of God. We saw last time in the baptism, why in the world would Jesus be baptized? And we said it was to identify with us, but we also said it was a picture of his death and resurrection. Because that's when we do a baptism, we always say, we take a person, we put them down in the water and bring them up. It's a picture of their death and resurrection with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' baptism was a picture of that. But it was also a picture of the great high priest. Because every time a person became a priest, especially the great high priest, which was passed down uh, in the Jewish culture, they would be, that water was given to them. They were anointed with oil, and they had to wash in a certain way. And so here's Jesus beginning his ministry. The priests began their ministers at age 30. Jesus begins his ministry at age 30. And so he is our great high priest. So we saw that. Well, this morning, though, we're going to see the temptation. And we could break it down this way. Is verse 11, 1 through 11, the first 11 verses. He's led by the Holy Spirit out there. Here comes the temptation. It's threefold. Uh, the devil says, make these stones bread. The devil takes him up to the temple and says, jump off. And then the devil takes him and shows him the kingdoms of all the world and says, you can have every one of these kingdoms. And if you read this, sometimes you might say, oh, he can't give Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Jesus is the king of the world. Well, we'll talk about it when we get there. So let's move the temptations. Let's think about several things. First of all, we've seen from his geology and his background and his birth that he is the king of the Jews. We have seen from his baptism that he identifies with mankind. Well, this morning we're going to see in his temptation, it shows that he is the perfect son of God, the Messiah, and the king. So it's a famous passage. If you notice, let me just read verse 1 for a second. It says, Then Jesus, this is immediately following the baptism, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. It's a famous passage. But notice, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, this was not a chance happening. Jesus didn't come up out of the water and say, Gee, you know, let's see, where should I go? Well, I think I'll just go out in the wilderness for a little bit. No, it, the Holy Spirit led him out there for a purpose. And the purpose was to be tempted by the devil. Oftentimes when trials and temptations come into our life, we act as like a strange thing, but you have to understand that God allows temptations, trials, and things to come into our lives. He allows that. And we have to trust him because God, we have to trust him in these kind of events and we're going to see it. Let, let me give this to you. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When you think of temptation, most every time you say, oh, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to eat that piece of pie. I'm tempted to do this. I'm tempted to look over here. I'm tempted to do this. I'm tempted. And, and almost every time when we see temptation, we think of negative most every time. In the Bible, and especially in the New Testament in the Greek, there are two words. There's a word called dakamazo. Dakamazo means to test for approval. It means I, it's like I test you so that you will be shown to be right. Okay. Then there is another word, perazo, and it, it is a word for temptation that can be used either way. It can be used to make you mess up, or it can be used to show that you're right. And in this passage, he's using the second word. And so when it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, the, the temptation by the devil is not for Jesus to, uh, to, to show how great Jesus is. Je the devil is tempting him so that he might mess up. That's what he's hoping. 
In the book of James, it says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The testing of your faith works patience. The word trials there is the word that means it could be either good or bad. Later on in 1 Thessalonians, he says that we might be tempted, and it's a bad word. That means that we're tempted to do wrong. In this passage, and what we actually see is a dual thing. We see God's plan testing Jesus, so to speak, to prove that he is the perfect Savior and he will not fail. That's one reason we see the temptation. That's one reason there's the details there that you can see it. So you can see that Jesus is the perfect Son of God who did not fail. There is a second part of this, and this is Satan's plan to get Jesus to fail, to go against the will of the Father. Let me tell you, Satan's plan was this. And it's the same for us as it is for Jesus, was for Jesus. Satan says, all I care about is you doing your own thing rather than God's thing. If you will just go contrary to the Bible, contrary to the will of the Father, that's all he cares about. It's called sin whenever you go contrary to the will of the Father, when you go contrary. And so he wants Jesus to go contrary to the will of the Father. He wants us to go contrary to the will of the Father. So... As we look at this, we're going to see three things. We're going to see who did the tempting. We know that's the devil. We're going to see the plan of temptation, what he tried to do, and we're going to see Jesus' response in every one of those. So let's start again with verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so when we we start off and we say, Who tempted? Well, it's, it's the devil. From God's side... It's to show that Jesus Christ is God and he cannot sin. But from Satan's side, it's to hopefully to get him to do wrong by going contrary to the Father's will. That's the plan. And that's what he wants for you, and that's what he wanted for Jesus. I want you to read with me at verse 1 again. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In this passage, there are three different things. In verse 1, he's called the devil. The word devil really means slanderer. It means accuser. That's what he does. He's... To slander means to lie. He's a liar. He's an accuser. He, goes, he actually goes before God and accuses us. And he can lie about us, but he doesn't have to lie. We are sinners and we fall short. But he can lie. He lies out all the time. That's who he is. We're doing a study on Wednesday nights, angels and demons. First four lessons, we looked at the good angels. The last of the study is the bad angel, Satan, and then some of the demons. We're going to see all that. And as we've done this study, what we find is this being... He is so evil and so horrible. It, it, you can't imagine it. We can't imagine it. We, we just say the devil. Listen, he is a slanderer. He is evil more than we can imagine. He would love nothing better than this be out of the Bible because it makes him look bad. Right? And so he's called the devil. He's called the tempter in verse 3 because that's what he does. He wants you to, to fail. He, he wants to tempt you to do bad. And then in verse 10, he's called the adversary. He's called Satan, which means adversary, which means the one against you. And when we did the study on Wednesday nights, we said there's some good angels, and they serve God and man, and there's bad angels who are opposed to God and man. That's Satan. He's an adversary. You have an adversary. You have a roaring lion who seeks to devour you. You have an angel that is more powerful than you can imagine and hates you and hates Jesus Christ and would like nothing better than to stop you from living for Jesus Christ. That's all he cares about. We'll talk more about it. But see, for the unbeliever, he just wants to stop them from ever trusting. He doesn't care if they go to church. He doesn't care anything. As long as they never trust Christ, he's fine. For the believer, it's too late. We already trusted Christ. What he wants us to do is never serve. He wants to get us so mixed up in everything else that we don't serve. That's his plan. Well, look what happened. 
It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Now, I can't go like a day without eating, right? I don't know about you. Maybe two days, but he went 40 days and 40 nights. It's on purpose. Now, 40 in the Bible has an idea of testing, always does. I want you to think about this, that, uh, whoops. Oh, that's those three things I brought up. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights at the flood. That the nation of Israel, you know, wandered for 40 years, but there was a 40-day aspect of wilderness. There was 40 days of Jonah. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days, Goliath challenged. If you look in the Bible, 40 always has this idea of testing. And so Jesus was out there 40 days, 40 nights. He became hungry. He had fasted. Now, we're going to see what the devil does. And the devil has a plan, and this is his plan for Jesus, but plan for us, and that's to get Jesus to sin by going contrary to the will of the Father. By going contrary to the will of the Father. Now, let me, let me just talk about sin for a second. Sin is just doing what God told you not to do. The, the original sin of man was don't eat the fruit. Or you say, well, let's say it was an apple. Probably, maybe, probably wasn't, but let's say it was an apple. So what's the big deal about eating an apple? He said, don't eat it. That's the big deal. Sin is going contrary to the will of the Father. Now, the things that Satan's going to tell Jesus to do, why don't you take those stones and make them bread? So what's wrong with bread? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with jumping off the temple? Now, we're going to talk about that. It's a little bit weird, but he takes them up and says, jump off the temple. So, in a sense, when we think of sin, we think of, ooh, this is real bad. But the truth is, sin is doing anything contrary to what God has told us to do. His plan, he's going to get Jesus, that's his plan, to get Jesus to go contrary to the will of the Father. So let's look at verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now let me show you something. In in the Greek, there there are four different kind of ifs, but we always talk about three of them. But there's an if that's called a first-class if that means if and it's true. And then there's a second-class if that says if and it's not true. And then there's a third-class if that says if, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. This is a first class. So when the devil says, if you are the Son of God, he's saying, since you are the Son of God, or if and it's true, you're the Son of God. So Satan is not bringing doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. Satan is actually saying, since you are the Son of God, here's what, why don't you do this? If you're really God, and you are, why don't you command that these stones become bread? The stones become bread. You're out here. You're hungry. You you could get any. Look, you could eat anything you want. There's no food out here, but you're God. If you are God, and you are, then why don't you just say to the stone, become bread? Because you're hungry, obviously. You haven't eaten for 40 days. I mean, I've been watching you. So here's the bottom line. Why don't you just show that you're God? I mean, if you really are God, there's nothing wrong with eating. There's nothing wrong with eating. In fact, probably your heavenly Father would want you to eat. Right? Isn't that what Satan does? There's nothing wrong with, just because he told you this, that doesn't mean anything. He doesn't really care. Your needs need to be met, Jesus. Satan always wants us to do our will rather than the Father's will. See, what Jesus is going to say is, if the Father wants me to eat, he'll get me food. He's the one that sent me out here. 
He's the one that has me out here for 40 days and 40 nights with no food. I've been led out here by the Holy Spirit. If the Father wants me to have food, he'll give me the food. Now, the devil says, you should get the food. You should, there's no big deal with getting the food. What is the response by our Savior Jesus? Verse 4, but he answered and said, it is written. It goes back to the Bible. It is written as a, as a way of saying, this is Scripture. This is truth. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. It's not just a physical aspect, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 8. He's going back to the Word of God. Deuteronomy 8, 3. It's not the physical food, but it's supposed to be but God's Word. Not physical food, but God's Word. He says the issue here isn't what food I can eat. The issue is obeying the Word of God. Notice what he says, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not some of the words, every word. See, there are people in this town who are in pulpits that will say to you, some of this is right and some of this is wrong. That's wrong. It's all right. It's all perfect. It is the written revelation of God. It is alive. It is powerful. It is sharpening to its sword. Never comes back void. Accomplishes its purpose. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It is, it is truth, John 17, 17. It's not some of this is good. All of this is good. This doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And don't ever forget it. And Jesus looked at him and said, it's not some things, it's every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, he's basically saying, look, I trust God. I trust God. If my father brought me out here, if he wanted me to have food, he will give me food. We must obey God's word rather than our desires. See, I guarantee you, was Jesus a real man? Answer me, yes or no? Yeah, was he 100% man? Did he get hungry? Did he get tired? You remember when he's on the way, they're going up to Galilee and they stop at Sinar by the well where the woman of the well came, woman came out to the well? It says he sat down or he was weary. He got tired. I guarantee you got hungry. You think he's hungry after 40 days? Would you be hungry? If you could survive, you'd be hungry. And, so, and the devil says, you can have bread. It is no big deal. And Jesus said, here's the big deal. The big deal is not fulfilling my desires. The f big deal is living and doing what God wants me to have. And when God wants me to have food, he'll give me food. And there are many believers and many non-believers, many believers who want to fulfill their desires, even if it's contrary to the Bible, because they say, I deserve this. I need this. God knows I need this. He should already have this for me. We must trust God to, and obey the Bible rather than our desires. We must trust God to provide for our needs in his way. Okay, that didn't work. So the devil then, verse 5, says the devil then took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Okay, he takes him to the holy city. What's the holy city? That's Jerusalem. He takes him into Jerusalem, takes him to the temple. Now, if you're in Jerusalem, if you stand on the Mount of Olives, you can stand on the Mount of Olives and you look toward the west, then that day and time there was, of course, the big city and there was the temple the big, beautiful temple. Now the Dome of the Rock is there. It's a Muslim place there now on top of the Temple Mount. But it was the temple there. And you can see the temple. And 
It, it's a beautiful building, by the way. And it was not, after they came back from the, the captivity, it was not very big. And Herod the Great, the bad man, it, he actually helped rebuild the temple and make it much bigger. It took 49 years to build it. That's why when they said something about Jesus about doing something, he said, prove you're the son of God. He said, uh, tear down this temple or bring it up in three days. They thought he was talking about the real temple. He was talking about the temple of his body. That's when they said, well, it's been 49 years building this thing and it's not finished yet. How are you going to do it in three days? He was talking about his body. Temple was an amazing building. Pinnacle of the temple. Don't picture top of the temple. The temple mount has a wall all the way around it. And at the southwest corner, you can go to the edge of the southwest corner and look over, and it's 450 feet to the bottom. Now, the last, when I was there, it was, of course, a road going down there, and you could go there. I don't know if you can still go there. Now, some of the things are blocked off, and the things have changed. I haven't been to Israel in a long time. But you could look over. The pin, that we, that's called the pinnacle of the temple. We think that Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. People are all down there, 450 feet down there. And he says, jump off. Just jump off. Because if you're, if you're God, you can jump off. And the Bible tells you that angels won't even let you hurt your foot. You'll go all the way to the bottom and you'll be fine. So look what he says. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle of the temple. This is the second temptation. Pinnacle of the temple is the wing of the temple. That's the best we can understand. And he says, now watch what he says. Verse 6, he said to him, If, and it's true, you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Just jump off. Why? Because it's written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He says, the Bible already says, Psalm 9:11 says, If you jump off, the angels will protect you. Well, first of all, it's not talking about that. Second is, he left part of the verse out and misinterpreted it. So be careful. Satan will use Scripture, but it's always wrong. It's always a little bit off. It's always twisted for his own purpose. So he basically said to Jesus, Just jump off. And I guarantee you, you know, you already know the angels will keep you from getting hurt, and you'll all land at the bottom, and everybody will go, You, do, you just jumped off the temple and didn't get hurt. And he goes, Yeah, that's right. You can do that. That'll be fantastic. Why don't you do that? Why would he tell Jesus to do that? He says, listen, by, by not getting hurt, everyone will see you're the Messiah. And there was a tradition that actually said the Messiah would suddenly appear. And what better way to show you the Messiah than just jump off the top of the big 450-foot place, land at the bottom, and you'll be okay, and everybody will see that you're all right. Now, he wants Jesus to jump off there. And think about this. He's saying, Jesus... You want everybody to know you're the Messiah. Well, what better way than jump off the top of the temple, land at the bottom, and go, ta-da, right? I had a friend that, uh, she was a great little Bible teacher, and she taught third-grade girls. And one day she was teaching this lesson, and she said, and Satan said to Jesus, jump off the temple. And then she said, what do you think Jesus told the devil? The little girl raised her hand and said, what? She said, dares go first. <laughs> So Jesus could have said, won't you jump off? But anyway, would Jesus be seen as the Messiah because he jumped off the temple? How did Jesus show he was the Messiah? By the signs. He did, there's over 35 miracles that Jesus did. In the Gospel of John, there's seven signs that he did to prove that he's the Messiah. He, none of those signs are jumping off a building, right? And so how did Jesus answer? Verse 7, Jesus said to him, on the other hand, 
It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. It's not God's time. He went to the Word of God, Deuteronomy 6.16. We must trust God in the right time in the right way. Listen, Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, and by how I live and by the miracles that I do and by the teaching that I do, people will see that I'm the Messiah. They will not see that I'm Messiah because I jump off a building. Understand that. We must trust God in the right time in the right way. Third temptation. This is the big one. The third one. Look what he says. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Now, he takes him, and it's kind of a supernatural thing that they go to some high mountain somewhere, something, and they can see all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And what does Satan say to him? If you worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. We say, well, who do you think you are? Well, I'll tell you who he is. He's the prince of this world. He controls the fallen world system. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it calls him the God of this age. Ephesians 2 calls him the prince of the air. He does control the world system, and he could offer to Jesus the fallen world system. That's what he's doing. Notice what he says, though. If you will fall down and worship me. That's not a first-class if. That's a third-class, which means... Maybe you'll worship me. Maybe you won't. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Let me know what he's saying to Jesus. You can become the king without going to the cross. You know, what's Jesus got to do? How's Jesus going to be the king of the world? He's going to come to the earth and do what? What's he going to do? First time he comes to what? What? To die. And the second time he comes to what? To reign. Satan says, you don't have to die without reign. You can reign right now. You can be the king and never die. What happens if he doesn't die? There's no salvation. There's no savior. See, the plan, God's plan is to die and then reign. Satan's plan is to reign without dying. That's a great plan. If Jesus doesn't die on the cross, there is no salvation for the world. Satan's plan is to say, you can go and be the king and you don't have to die and suffer and be separated good deal. Jesus has to die if he's going to be our Savior. So what did Jesus do? Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan. Some translations go, be gone, Satan, for it is written. Once again, he goes back to Deuteronomy. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, Satan wanted to be worshipped. He wanted Jesus to worship him, and he'd give him the kingdoms of the world. Jesus said, you worship and serve They go together, by the way. Worship and service goes together. So the temptation. The temptation is Jesus could reign without suffering or dying. That's the temptation. Sounds pretty good. I mean, if you knew, and you're Jesus, and you know that the plan is you're going to come to the earth, you're going to do the ministry for three, three and a half years, you're going to be rejected. At the end, they're going to take you, and they're going to put holes in your hand. They're going to to beat you. They're going to put stuff over you. It's going to be horrible. In fact, it's going to be so bad that when you get in the garden, you're going to say, Lord, God, oh, dear Heavenly Father, if there's some way that this could pass, let it pass. Nevertheless, what? It's not my will. It's your will. It's going to be that horrible, and he knows it. And Satan says, you don't have to go through that. You don't have to go through that. You know what Satan says to us? You don't have to do that. You don't have to serve God. You don't have to live for God. You don't have to do all this stuff. You don't have to. 
Everything's going to be fine. See, could Jesus, Jesus could reign without suffering or dying? No, not possible. God's plan for us is we must serve before we can reign. Let me tell you something. There's this world view that says whenever anybody dies, they're automatically in heaven, right? It doesn't matter. They're the wildest rock person that's ever been, drugs, satanic worship. They die and everybody goes, oh, they're in the great band in the sky. You know, you want to go, what? You know, and, and sometimes people think for us, all of us, the moment you die, you'll be with Jesus and you'll reign with him. That's not true. The moment you die, you'll be with Jesus but only the faithful reign with him. In Hebrews, they call the metakoi, the partners with Christ. The ones that Jesus says, well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. Not every believer reigns. Every believer's in the kingdom, but not every believer reigns. Satan would want you as a believer to say, you don't have to serve him now. You'll get to reign regardless what you do. The truth is, no, you won't. You serve now. Just like Jesus had to die first and then be king and reign, we serve first and then we can reign. So if you think automatically you're going to be in heaven with Jesus, and you are, and you're going to get to just serve him and reign and rule, no, only those who are faithful believers get to reign and rule. That's the lie of the devil. So what happened? Go, Satan, it's written, you shall worship the... Uh, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels, angels, good angels, they came and began to minister to him. They began to minister to him. By the way, one of the other passages, I think it's in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, says that when the devil, devil left him, and then the devil said, I'm looking for an opportune time to come back and tempt him again. In this passage, we see... 1 John 2, 15, 16 talks about temptation, how all this works. There are three areas of temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's 1 John chapter uh, 2, verses 15 and 16. Those three areas, that's the same way Jesus was tempted. Lust of the flesh, eat some food. Lust of the eyes, just suddenly appear, and everybody will go, wow. Or the pride of life, you can be king without going to the cross. That's the same way that Satan tempted Adam and Eve, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Look good. Good to eat, make you wise. That's the way he tempts us all. What can we learn? Who tempted Jesus? The devil. What was the plan? Not God's will, but his will. The response, Jesus went back to the word of God. What can we learn about us? Who tempts us? The devil, the fallen world, the world, the flesh, all those things, it affects us. What's the plan? For us to do our will, not God's will, What's our response? How do we have victory? We go back to the Word of God. We know it and apply it in our lives. That's the only way to have victory. We see one of the most famous passages in the Bible, the temptation of Jesus. Let me give you some applications. The first is, let's understand where temptation comes from. I mean, think about where does it come from? It's come, it's, there's the world, the flesh, the devil. That's all that aspect. There's, there's the idea of, of the lust of our eyes, the lust of our, our flesh, the pride of life. It's all there. It's pulling on you all the time. Every one of us in this room, we did a study in Grow Group on temptation. And when we had that study, we asked, how many of y'all are tempted every day? And every person raised their hand. That temptation is out there, and it's always in those same ways. Let's understand temptation. Let's understand it's to do our will rather than God's will. That's what sin really is. 
Listen, I know people. I, I've had people come into my office, and they say, this is what's going on in my life. And we'll look at the Bible, and I'll say, well, here's what the Bible says you should do. And they say, but I'm not going to do that because I don't want to. I go, okay, so what you're saying is you want to do your will rather than God's will. That happens. That's what sin is. Temptation is to do that. Finally, let's know the biblical response to temptation. Expect it. It's going to happen. Go to the Word of God. That is the key. And so when we look at these three areas, obey the Bible rather than our desires. God will meet our needs. That's what he did for Jesus. He said, get some bread. Jesus said, if he wants me to have bread, he'll give me bread at the right time. The second one is don't put God to the test. Trust him for his timing. He wanted Jesus to jump off so everybody would see him. Jesus said, they will see me in the right way and the right time. And then finally, worship and serve God. He wanted Jesus to go to, the, go, to be a king without going to the cross. There would be no salvation. He wants us to think we can reign without serving. We are to worship and serve our God. May we understand temptation in our lives, gaining the victory as we go to the Scripture.